to the Fallon Forum. This is Ed Fallon. We're bringing you progressive voices and, of course, civil dialogue across the political divide. We're coming to you from the heart of America's heartland. That would be Des Moines, Iowa. You know, this program has aired continuously for 12 years. Hard to imagine. And, you know, if you value what we do, and I think you do, become a sponsor or a monthly donor so we can keep broadcasting this unique platform of viewpoints that you are not going to hear on the big corporate stations. We are supported entirely by small businesses, nonprofits, and listeners through donations and monthly pledges. So thank you for that. And thanks to um, our local business partners for helping to make this program possible, including Gateway Marketing Cafe, at Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. You can also order groceries online, and Gateway offers a catering and floral service as well. That's Gateway Market and Cafe. Thanks also to Groovy Goods. That's Des Moines' one-stop hippie shop where everyone is welcome and no one is judged. Groovy Goods calls itself a tribe brought together by peace, love, and rock and roll. Learn more at groovy-goods.com or stop by at 23rd University in Des Moines. All right, so uh, later in the program, we'll be talking with the executive director of the Pocahontas Democrats about why Iowa has become so bright red. Like many, many states and certainly many rural areas around the country, we'll also be talking to a friend of mine from Germany about the historic and tragic flooding that has occurred in that country. And for those listening to our podcast, Des Moines City Councilman Bill Gray will join us. We're going to be talking about climate solutions at the local level leading up to the city council election here this fall. And then Randy Evans with the Iowa Freedom of Information Council is going to join us. We're going to talk about where, where you draw the line between protest at, at, at council meetings and going too far. And then finally, Kathy Burns is going to host a conversation with Carrie Noble and Steve Shivers about digging deeper into composting and a new and innovative technique that's being proposed in that realm. So, you know... I know you think your town is cool. It probably is. I know our town is cool. I know Portland thinks it's the coolest place in the world. Um, you know, they, it's cutting edge because, well, among other things, people bike through downtown buck naked on the July full moon. And that, of course, is known as the buck moon. Well, in the ongoing expose of what a surprising place is Des Moines, Iowa, Kathy Burns is here to share her bizarre experience while walking home through downtown Des Moines last Friday. Kathy, welcome to the program. Thanks. I'm glad to be here, and I'm glad to still have all my wits about me after the experiences <laughs> that I went through on Friday. And this this uh, this little uh, journey started and ended with a red rose. It did. Rose is an important name in my family. My mother's name is Rosalie. Her mother's name is uh, Rosalia. And so uh, I, always, I always kind of pay attention when anything involves yeah. a rose. Yeah. So what happened? I'd been researching with my sister at the Historical uh, Society building, looking at tiny little microfilm newsletter, uh, newspapers. And so <laughs> I was really glad to get back outside. This was uh, this past Friday, July 23rd. And walking home, even in extreme heat, and forgot to take my water with me, uh, it felt pretty good until I got fairly close to the Sculpture Park. Uh, this is walking along Grand Avenue. I was going west. And uh, I thought, boy, I am really thirsty. I need to get up in the shade. And so I started to cut on uh, north on uh, 10th Street. And then you sent me a text. And the text was, uh, 
if you're near 13th and Grand, there's a woman in the park handing out roses. <laughs> so um, you know that I like the, the, yes. the name Rose and, and how important that is to me. So I thought, okay, I'm thirsty, but I'm going to go get a rose. You know, I've had, I've had a busy day. I'm going to get a rose. And sure enough, there was a, a table, a card table set up with a woman and two younger people, some uh, young adult children, and uh, they had a big vase full of many colors of red rose, uh, many colors of roses, and one of them was red. So I thought, my goodness, I'm going to get me a red rose, and it said free roses. Um, I walked up to the table, and a little girl said to me, do you want an affirmation? And I said, sure. And the, the other <laughs> woman said, do you want a rose? I said, sure. The affirmation said, your outlook on life is amazing. <laughs> so the, <laughs> they asked me to pick a rose, and I had to choose red because that was my mother's favorite color. So here I am, knowing that my outlook on life is amazing and with a red <laughs> rose in my hand. What a good day so far, right? right? Yes. Well, uh, it was great. I was feeling quite uh, happy and even a little saucy about it. So when I walked across the street into the um, the headquarters area of a convenience store. It's a come and go. It's called come and which go. Which is an amazing name for anything, but it's, it's, a, it's a convenience store gas station chain here in Iowa, come right? and go. Right. I figured. Well, a man was playing one of the public pianos, and he was playing jazz, and I love to dance. So I thought, <laughs> I have a red rose, so I put it in my mouth, and I sort like of ja got my jazz hands going, and I, and I um, you know, danced up to and in front of the piano, and I just wanted to make sure he knew that I was enjoying his piano playing, <laughs> and he nodded politely. It wasn't that much recognition, but behind me to the north, I heard a, a man's voice kind of shouting something that sounded like, really, you know, amazing approval of my dancing. And I thought, good, somebody likes this. Uh, I turned around. I had to go north anyway to go home and started to head up toward the north end of that property. And I, I, I was just about to the sidewalk, and my eyes saw the man uh, standing by a park bench at the north end of the property. But what my eyes also saw was... I can I can hardly wipe from I won't wipe from my memory ever. It was it was buttocks. I saw buck naked buttocks on the park bench. Anybody Presu you recognize? No, presuming <laughs> I didn't see a face. Presume it looked like a woman's buttocks, rosy pink flesh, only accented by the black thong that I could see, uh, you know, being worn by this pair of buttocks and. I, I don't know. You said this is civil dialogue, but this, this is going to get a little ugly. Her knees were curled up under her, and there was a pair of man's legs sticking out from, so from they, between her. So they were, quote, doing it. I think, wow. I, yeah, something in, something big in, was happening. In the little park space in front of the Come and Go headquarters. Yes, the headquarters <laughs> called Come and Go. And I... I I quickly averted my eyes directly to my red rose because I I've got, I got to have as it any, lead me as, out of here. As any good Midwesterner would. <laughs> oh, well, the man was shouting approval. I don't think for me. Oh, it wasn't for your dancing. But for the action oh. on the bench. And so you know, I I just I just focus, 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 and keep moving forward. Don't let my eyes go over there again. I don't want to see it again. And I just just held my rose in front of me. I even sniffed it for comfort, and I kept walking. <laughs> And I thought, I've got to get out of here. And, and out of there, I did get. And as soon as I crossed the street uh, on the next block, as my eyes were focused straight ahead and a little bit down, you know, because I was ashamed to have seen what I saw, uh, I, there was a dollar bill in a paper clip. <laughs> and it was wrapped around. I picked it up. It was wrapped around 
a million dollar oh, bill. That's the one with Donald Trump's picture on it. <laughs> no, it was it was a pretty it looked fairly real, but of course you see something that says one million dollars and, yeah. and you know it's fake. I thought, oh my gosh, so this is already an interesting what were they, day. What were they what were they advertising you it, I did flip it over very quickly, but my eyes were still strained from <laughs> the microfilm and the uh, naked buttocks I had just seen. And so I looked at the back and it was some sort of a message about you will not find salvation until you repent all your sins. And I thought, I don't know, maybe the public sex havers at the come and go oh. headquarters should you have found have run, you this. You should have run that back for them. I wasn't going to go back there for the <laughs> life of me. My anyway, you goodness. kept the dollar. I did. Well, I put it in my pocket. I put it in my pocket. I thought, money in the pocket. I did get a dollar, and I still had my rose. So oh, I thought, this is still a pretty good day, and uh, maybe there's a way to salvage it. And that opportunity arose because as I was jaywalking, oops, oops. across 15th Street toward home, a woman was jaywalking toward me. And <laughs> it's we a met. problem here in Des Moines, jaywalkers. Well, she met, we met in the middle. It helps that we don't have a lot of traffic. <laughs> she said to me, that's a pretty flower. She looked a little down and out, and she said, that's a pretty flower. And I said, oh, it, it is pretty. And I reached out my red rose and handed it to her, and she gratefully took it, said thank you, and walked <laughs> off. And, and that was the most extraordinary set of circumstances I think I've encountered on one day. Well, I have never yet heard of uh, anyone in downtown Des Moines having you know, sex in public. That's um... Well, it was about 4.30 in the afternoon. Oh, okay, that too. makes it okay then. <laughs> <laughs> it was happy hour. <laughs> it was quite happy hour. Yeah. Well, then, Ed, what we realized later, because we were talking about this this series of incidents with a, with some friends of ours, we realized later that what is today's date? Ah, it was yes. July twenty third, the full buck moon. Yes, and so, I don't know. What's, I mean, is it called the buck moon for some reference to deer populations? I don't know. There are several theories okay. on that, but All I right. think the, a buckskin, um, a okay. kind of a nakedness, um, you know. Well. Out, so me, me, so so while while there were these uh, while this um, couple, shall we say, at any rate, were uh, at least one of them was was virtually buck naked. Uh, even she as, was at least. Even as thousands of people in Portland, it's, Oregon, were getting ready to do the buck naked ride. Well, we uh, had it going on uh, and right here. The buck here naked in Des moon about ready to come out. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the buck my. moon. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's um, you know maybe Portland is still weirder. I don't know, but uh, but that, you know to have somebody just. Randomly hanging out, handing out um, roses in the park. That with, was nice. With that was cute lovely. little affirmations. Yes. You know, and then to and have to have pianos in town where you can go and sit mm-hmm. and play, even though those those pianos are, in my opinion, badly placed in the noonday, in the hot, you know, midday sun, uh, and baking. I mean, that's good. And for you to be cool enough to get out there, put that rose in your mouth, and dance a little bit. I don't miss a chance to dance. Okay, but I really you know, don't. probably the weirdest part of all this though is the part that probably wasn't legal. <laughs> <laughs> but who who um who puts a dollar bill around a fake million dollar bill to advertise a religious perspective? Who does that? I I don't know. I, that interesting. Someone who's better than I am, it seems, in their minds. <laughs> but no, not better than you, because in the end, you took that red rose and you gave it to a woman who probably is still talking about what a nice thing somebody did for her two days ago. I hope so, because that's the decision my mother and grandmother would have made, to to, to be generous in a moment of confusion and anxiety. <laughs> well, anyway, that's uh, a typical day in downtown Des Moines. Well, maybe not typical, but, um, you know, we have a lot of interesting things happening here, and I'm sure that you have interesting things happening in your town as well. Hopefully most of them Ill- are, are legal, and none of them involve violence. 
Thanks again for uh, joining us, Kathy. We'll hear back from you at the end of the program when we interview Carrie Noble and Steve Shivers about a, a novel idea on composting. Uh, we'll be back in a minute, folks. Uh, again, Ed Fallon, your host here. Judy Downs is going to join us. We're going to talk about the vast Democratic-Republican divide in the state of Iowa. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. You're responsible for a lot, and it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. Psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed, and his services are offered on a self-pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Back to the Fallon Forum again. This is Ed Fallon, your host. You know, as I reminded folks earlier, this program has aired continuously for 12 years. And if you like what we do, help us out. You know, if you're a business, yeah, consider sponsoring your business on this program. Or if you're a nonprofit, hey, we like our, we, well, we like some nonprofits. Okay. And if you're an individual and you'd like to donate, we have a monthly donor program set up. Think about that. Anyway, we can do this with your support. And again, it's rare what you hear on this program, you won't hear on the big corporate giants. I want to thank a couple of our nonprofit partners as well. Uh, thanks to Bold Iowa, building rural urban coalitions to address climate change and prevent the abuse of eminent domain to build pipelines. Learn more at boldiowa.com. Thanks also to Birds and Bees Urban Farm, offering classes on how to turn your yard into dinner. Get more information about classes and workshops at birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. Judy Downs is with me, folks. She's the executive director of the Polk County Democrats. Judy, welcome to the conversation. Thank you for having me. Sure. Now, now for those who may not know, Polk County is Iowa's largest county. Uh, Polk County used to be uh, used to be one of the many counties in the state that voted Democratic. Now it's one of the rare and few. And, uh, you know, the numbers continue to raise concerns for Democrats. Uh, when I was um, in 2006, when I was running for governor, um, there were 24,000 more Democrats registered to vote in Iowa than Republicans. And it's gone downhill ever since. <laughs> and as of June of last year, there are now, what, 48,000 more Republicans than Democrats. June Judy, of this year, yes. And you're here to tell me how this is going to change. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what we're doing to, to hopefully change that. But, you know, I, I like that you brought up 2006. We have been looking at 2008 and comparing the numbers. I think 2006 is probably better because 2008 um, was – a benefit we benefited from the Obama boost mm -hmm. that voter registration right. got ac across the country so it's probably an, an anomaly but 2006 it can be very eye-opening to remember that we were a blue state and 
after the election, um, in, in my role as Polk County Democrats Executive Director, but also just a, as a volunteer, um, myself and a few others did some analysis of what went wrong across the state. And we partnered with, with Jeff Link to, to look at the numbers and, and take a hard look. And we learned that we had just been bleeding voter registrations for the past decade. And that's and still happening. Though. It's still happening. Um, but it's slowing down a little bit post-election. <laughs> The, the numbers really jumped up when Paul Pate purged voters erroneously yeah, for from the For folks who don't know what that's rolls. about, uh, like all over the country, you've got voter, uh, different tactics being used to suppress votes in certain constituencies, certain areas. And the one thing uh, Secretary of State uh, Paul Pate did uh, was to basically cancel anybody who hadn't voted in the last election. Not only did he cancel anyone who hadn't voted in the last election, he canceled 18-year-olds who weren't eligible to vote oh, in the that's last election, right, that's right. but that's, had registered since. That's insane. And yeah. unfortunately for us, it seems that Republicans are re-registering at a higher rate than Democrats. But also, you know, I mean, in fairness, Republicans are actually turning out at least as strongly as Democrats, maybe stronger in some places. So it's not, it's not a turnout problem. No, Republicans are well. Yeah, I would say in Demo in in Iowa, Democrats have a turnout problem, and we have a voter registration problem, and we also have a problem talking to no party voters. Combine those three things, and you got a big problem. We have a big problem, <laughs> so, and I think the key to fixing that, which is one of the reasons why we founded this nonprofit, the New Iowa Project, mm -hmm. is by taking a year long strategy. And Iowans working year long outside of the campaign cycle to register voters, to increase voter turnout on local elections, because that's something that we can have a very big impact on just looking at small elections. And, you know, I, I say we can have a big impact um, with with local elections. But when we lose a congressional seat by six votes, we can have a big impact <laughs> well, on, on all of a, all our yeah, elections. That's a, that's a, that was, I think was the, one of the closest uh, congressional races ever. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, you know, I truly believe if if we had taken a health risk and knocked doors, which I'm not advocating people do the, during the pandemic, during the pandemic, was, yeah. um, uh, Iowa would be a different state right mm. now. So uh, the um, OK, so, so it's, it's not just a voter registration and voter turnout problem. It's a Democratic message problem. And what what is it about the Democratic message that is failing to encourage no, no party voters to vote Democrat? And not encouraging and encouraging some Democrats to switch to Republican. What's the problem there? I think we are definitely behind on on the messaging game. Although I would say sometimes I think Democrats believe that if we just had the right message, we would win. Right. I definitely think it is a part of the problem and should be a part of the solution. But I would caution anyone to focus too highly on it without really building up and investing in a strong ground game or mm -hmm. grassroots organizations in all 99 counties. But I think one of the biggest problems when it comes to messaging in Iowa is if you talk to local Iowans about the issues that they care about and you listen to national consultants about the issues they think Iowans care about, there's a disconnect. There's a big disconnect. And I think that campaigns, as they get larger, as they um, raise more money and spend more money, they're encouraged to spend money with large national consultants. But, but it's not just the large national consultants that are that are there for whatever purpose, just to make money. It's also the Democratic consultants. I mean, the Democratic National Committee has done a horrible job at handpicking uh, the chosen one to run in the Democratic primary. And I, I don't even know why they do that. I don't know why anybody in Iowa even puts up with that. You know, you had a, you had a, a three-way race for uh, uh, the U.S. Senate last time around. Not, not, not no, sorry, two times past, when, um, when Grassley was up. Three candidates running, and 
Suddenly, the Democratic Central Committee, or DSCC, decided that there had to be another candidate. And they handpicked somebody, Patty Judge, whom nothing against her personally, but I have, I have, a, I have a real hard time with the national, you know, national party picking somebody, whether it's for Iowa or any other state. And we saw what happened. You know, I've... <laughs> I, I think I might have a different perspective okay, just from the, the county party perspective and, and what I've seen, um, where I have seen um, campaigns who find success are the campaigns who connect with, with Iowans on an individual level and actually get out there and do the work. And so I, I, I that's why we as, as, a can, as a county, we will recruit for all races, but we will never endorse within a within a race or never provide different resources within a primary. That's good, but that does that doesn't that doesn't translate up the ladder because you I mean you're gonna have the nationals doing it, but we also have the state state doing it. I mean I, there were there were there were there was a race here in Polk County that uh, the incumbent Democrat was told to keep his mouth shut until the last minute, and then the hand-picked successor had already got the signatures needed to file, and by the time it was discovered that boom, he's retiring, and this other candidate is going to be, you know, on the ballot, there was no time for anyone else to jump in. That's, that's really, that, that, I think that turns a lot of people off. You know, I, I think that what, from my perspective, um, I, I know that a lot of campaigns, candidates specifically when they retire, um, are mentoring people for decades before they retire um, and, and many years and build relationships. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think getting involved is a positive thing. Getting involved with the party structure is a positive thing. Um, but again, I think that what, what campaigns need to do, and one of the reasons why we failed in 2020 is we did not support down ballot candidates post that primary. But that's been happening for years too. I mean, one of the complaints when, when Obama was running his first and second time was that there was no, there were no shoestrings. There were there was no effort to try to reach other voters, and that, that was that was a concern I had from one candidate, legislative candidate in Council Bluffs, who feels that he was just left. He was just hung out to dry. Yeah. So what we're trying to do is change that okay. and, and encourage local county parties to understand the power that they have. So right. in Iowa, the the county parties are independent from the state party. We as Polk County Dems receive right. no funding from the state party. I just work for Polk County. Right. I don't work in for the state party at all. How many other counties are in that uh, are, are like that? Um, every county technically is. The state party gives some grants. So right. if counties apply for grants for special issues. Right. Um, but counties don't receive regular funding from right. the state party. So what we're trying to do is give them resources to understand that they have fundraising potential and volunteer potential themselves to build year-round volunteer infrastructures that can help support those down-ballot candidates. Yeah. So instead of relying on the coordinated campaign to run things, some would say poorly and unsuccessfully yeah. in the well, past. I, I think many people would say Yes. That. Well, you can definitely say unsuccessfully, right? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I, I think our, our idea is flipping that power and looking at the county party infrastructure and saying, how can we support them and, and the volunteers that are already on yeah. the ground? So hopefully by doing that, it becomes a more grassroots um prospect even in terms of candidate recruitment so beyond beyond the general populace of the electorate what about the fact that there are a lot of democratic candidates and former democratic officials or maybe not maybe not a lot is a big percentage but enough to be concerned i mean here's some you know anessa um kashazovic wrote on her facebook page last week and it's been quote it's been interesting over the years watching the democratic establishment's endless list of hand-picked candidates sometimes sometimes the party of fairness ain't so fair Big money and consultants have taken over. Is that just sour grapes, or is there a legitimate concern there? 
You know, I, I'm sure that um, their concerns are legitimate. I think a lot of uh, Democratic activists and voters have very con con legitimate concerns. I can't. I, what I can speak to, the work that I'm doing, yeah. um, is is focused on supporting the volunteers to recruit themselves and elect candidates instead of. Um, and, and build up the infrastructure from the grassroots, mm. I think, instead of um, criticize candidate picks in the past. I think the, the thing that I find um, to be effective right now is look at what can we work on to, to solve uh, the problem and close the gap in Iowa, and that's mm. voter registration, year-round organizing, and who can do that mm. and who hasn't been given the resources in the past, yeah. and that's county parties and local right. groups. Yeah. Well, I think the more, the, the more things get local, the better. Absolutely. Counties, precincts, you know, that's, that's really... I mean, it's when you connect with your neighbors is where it really happens. Um, and so, I mean, I, I think I would love to see uh, party officials and I would say to the DNC, hey, stay out of our business. You know, <laughs> I, I think a lot of them have. candidates for the U.S. Senate. Mm -hmm. And, I, and I, I would say the same thing to the state, the state party. Hey, don't go picking candidates for our legislative seats when they come open, you know. I, I mean, I understand how a candidate or legislator might want to mentor someone I think you have to but have a recruitment program that encourages people of color and women to vote. Yeah. And by doing that, um, you know, I, I think that many times the parties are the best mechanism to do that. So if you can find a way to encourage underrepresented people to, to, to run for office um, without um, handpicking, I, I think that's the best solution. All right. Well, Judy, thanks so much for joining us. We could probably talk a lot longer about this and maybe work out some of the problems. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Judy Downs, folks, the executive director of the Polk County Democratic Party here in Iowa. When we come back from a short break, uh, we're going to be on the phone with a fellow from Germany, Albrecht Kustermann, who's going to be reporting about the unprecedented flooding in western Germany, what's being done, and how, unfortunately, some opportunists have taken advantage of that with their own version of fake news. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Groovy Goods is your Des Moines one-stop hippie shop. Located near Drake University, we are more than just a store. Groovy Goods is about community. We're a tribe brought together by peace, love, and rock and roll. You will be greeted by friendly staff, the smell of incense, the vibration of healing stones and crystals, the vibrant colors of clothing and tapestries, and an extensive herbal apothecary and metaphysical products. At Groovy Goods, everyone is welcome and no one is judged. Check us out online, groovy-goods.com, or stop in at the corner of 23rd and University in Des Moines. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Back to the Fallon Forum again. This is Ed Fallon, your host. We're uh, continuing this broadcast for the past 12 years now. And if you like what we do, help us out. We need to continue to build uh, a stronger voice for uh, change on so many levels. And, you know, the, it's not going to happen on the big corporate-owned stations. Uh, we're one of the small guys that can help make a difference. So do, what you, do your part to help support what we're doing. You know, and thanks to the local businesses that make this program possible as well, including Story County Veterinary Clinic, 
where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. You can learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page or by calling Dr. Holding at 515-232-8766. Thanks also to Westrom Optometry, located in Moines East Village. Dr. Joel Westrom and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish. The clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry. I'm delighted to welcome uh, a friend of mine who I've not seen in 30 years to the program, Albrecht Kustermann. He's joining us from Frankfurt, Germany. Uh, that's not a town that was affected by the recent floods, but the floods ha have been a, a, huge, um, a, a huge tragedy, of course, but also I think perhaps also a huge eye-opening experience for people not just in Germany, but around the world. So uh, Albert, let me start off by welcoming you, welcoming you to the program. Hi, yeah. Great to hear you. Great, uh, yeah, talking to you again after 30 years. <laughs> I know, it's been a long time. So uh, what is your impression as to what's, what has happened in Western Germany and, and, and how, the, how is the recovery going? Well, um, there is, um, well, there are two things. On the one hand, uh, of course, uh, it's suddenly the climate change really, um, yeah, is an experience, a personal experience of the people living here. You know, we, we had floodings earlier and 20 years ago it was in East Germany, but such floodings here that, that a whole town is cut off and, and, and houses are really broken and people don't have anything. This is a really new experience and it's here and not in Bangladesh or, uh, or somewhere else. There is of course um, a high amount of solidarity, people um, going there or uh, um, pledging money whatsoever. But um, yeah, this experience of really losing everything yeah, and being happy to, well, some some lives have uh, um, uh, over 100 and I think, I think 20, 70 people died. I think about 200 um, the update I've heard. Oh, oh yeah. sorry, maybe. So it's, 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 uh, it's really a, a high number. Um, but also then having nothing, everything is lost. This is a new, uh, new experience. And um, um, yeah. It is, I think, the people now really experience the the power of the forces of forces of nature. Yeah, there is a small. I mean, the villages that were affected, they had a small, tiny, not even a river. Um, I don't know. I don't know how you call. You know, it's it's less than a river. You never expect we such such good flood. Stream or in the Midwest, we might say creek. But yeah, uh, yeah. So the um, but it's not just uh, two hundred lives that have been lost. But I, I mean, the property damage must be in many, many, many billions of dollars. It's got to be huge. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. It is also on the infrastructure. Um, it was one and a half billion. Um, uh, the train company has. Um, um, expected or expects that they have to to pay one and a half billion euro for uh, for the infrastructure in the railways. Yeah, um, yeah, and of course it's not only the rebuilding of houses. Some houses will not be rebuilt because right. uh, the area has uh, changed so much. Um, but also, of course, then 
um, additional costs in infrastructure uh, in securing um, the the villages uh, for for further uh, for further flooding. And um, I mean, we had here a a century flood, but it's the century. Mm. Floods are coming every ten years. So same here in the in the Midwest. Yeah. We've, had, we've had five hundred year floods um, three times in the past uh, twenty five years. Sorry, yeah. 20 years, I guess. So the um now the uh, the climatologists had predicted that this rain would come and there would be flooding. They predicted that about four days in advance. But and I'm going to quote you here. The uh, this is a quote from the the uh, the publication called Science. Uh, the quote is. Um, we were stunned to see the scenes of devastation and death despite ample warnings. You know, in short, they 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 knew this was gonna happen, but it was it was like it was it was a flood on steroids. It happened at a much greater level. And I guess my question is, why are we surprised anymore? I mean, this has been consistent. Climate climate scientists are getting it right, they know what's gonna happen, but the timeline is all off. Everything is happening faster, everything is happening more severely. Is that is that starting to maybe is this the incident that might get Germany to see that, yeah, we, we, we've got to take this even more seriously than we have been? Well, I do think uh, that there is a thinking about, um, we have to um, think about it more seriously. But on the other hand, um, what scientists say, and this is actually a problem we had during the pandemic, um, that um, from certain groups, everything what is, has been said by scientists was questioned. And I just learned today, and uh, I was surprised that the, um, uh, one of the candidates for the um, uh, chancellor uh, uh, for the uh, general elections, actually from the same party of um, Angela Merkel, he said, well, if you hear a scientist, you better ask what kind of a hidden agenda he has or the scientist has. Mm -hmm. And actually, this is a wording um, used to be uh, used by the far right, the right. Uh, so-called alternative for Germany. And I was surprised that he was um, he was saying this um, because um, usually he's a he's a moderate person but this is the problem and 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 a lot of scientists who said well there will be devastating damages then they are criticized as as being you know uh, exaggerating etc etc so this is the problem and of course now no scientist goes out and say well you see we we were right um i i think um what people do experience is that it's not just a theoretical thing well the average temperature rises for one one centigrade a lot of people say well then we have warmer summers it's nice but <laughs> now they realize that every centigrade is seven percent more rain right. in in the in an average rain and then you have this the problems with the jet stream that the 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 um, um the rain is not, you know, going, uh, moving, um, uh, the, uh, how you call it, the sky, you know, where the, where the water evaporates, um, uh, sorry, you know, uh, the, the water stays in one area and then comes down. So in the jet stream yeah, usually... That was one of the problems we yeah. had with the hurricane that hit Houston, Texas. Yeah. It, uh, it just didn't move. It just came and it yeah. dumped, and, it yeah. was, and slowly it dumped an incredible amount of rain. 
So the, yeah. um, yeah, the uh, yeah, again, I, it seems like, I know in the US, we have a very well-paid uh, climate denier movement financed by the oil industry. My impression is Germany is not so uh, burdened by this, this disinformation campaign. Um, but there are, I, I, one thing that caught my attention in, in, as I was studying the news stories on this flood was the fact that there are some, uh, I'm going to say low lives, <laughs> some people who are taking advantage of it uh, through broadcasting fake news. We're going to call it fake news. That's become a new term here. Yeah. And yeah, we have it, the term here as well. <laughs> for example, uh, for example, they, they, there's, there's a photograph of a car in flood water, and someone photoshopped on the back of that uh, F U. I won't. I can't say. I can't say the words on an FCC regulated station, but F U Greta Thunberg. So again, th there's a, there's kind of a political motivation to that. But then even worse, there were there was a there was another entity that was using uh, the flood to try to raise money allegedly for, for flood relief, but for some, some private, they were just skimming money off, off impressionable people who wanted to help. Is yeah, that a, is that a big problem or was that pretty isolated? There had been, um, actually again, from the movement that is questioning the pandemic, um, there had been initiatives going there and telling lies, yeah, saying, well, you know, this, this phenomenon, what I said, that the, uh, um, that the rain is not moving, uh, they said, um, well, that are the, the windmills, you know, for, for uh, wind energy, you know, they are stopping the energy. <laughs> it's complete, it's nonsense. Because That's brilliant. That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. I heard a similar, um, allegation years ago, uh, actually I think it was entirely spoofed, but I think there were probably people who believed it, that if you have enough windmills going, you know, spinning at the same time, it could cause the Earth's, uh, the Earth to tilt off its axis. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the same. It's, it's, I mean, these, these people are maybe also saying the Earth is, is flat and not a, a, you know, but yes, they are. And I mean, a lot of them actually are my age. <laughs> I'm a typical <laughs> person, but no, uh, but, but um, we have this, I would, well, a lot of people um, um, sympathize with this very right-wing area, they, um, a party they call Alternative for Germany, and they have about 10% um, of the voters, yeah, mainly male, yeah, mainly in the mid fifties. Yeah, um, yeah. Of course, you have it, and and people uh, trying to say, well, you see, the uh, this happened, and the state didn't help you, um, and they want to, of course, delegitimize uh, the public authority. I, I've got to run to a break, and um, again, I wish you and uh, and and Germany and, and Western Europe in general uh, success in cleaning up after this tragedy and. Uh, wishing you the wisdom uh, as a country to, to know how to prepare for the inevitable impacts that are still coming. So uh, thank you for joining us. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you and all the best to you again also. We've been talking with Albert Kusterman in Frankfurt, Germany. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Bill Gray. He's a city councilman here in Des Moines. He's running for re-election. We're going to talk with him about what cities can do to prepare for the inevitable impacts of the climate emergency. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. 
It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week, with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Klipsham is adamantly and actively committed to supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Mark knows we must all live and work with the goal of building better health for both people and planet. And he works to implement that vision through his stewardship of architecture by synthesis. You can learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. Back to the forum, folks. Again, this fall and summer, we are interviewing uh, all the eight candidates who are running for city council. Uh, I should say all of those who accept the invitation. So far, seven have accepted the invitation. Uh, before I introduce you to the next candidate, I want to take a second to thank our local business partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Westrom Optometry, Groovy Goods, and psychiatrist Dr. David Drake. Family Psychiatry. Uh, thanks also to our nonprofit partners, Bold Iowa and Birds and Bees Urban Farm. Bill Gray is with me, folks. Bill, welcome to the program. Thank you, Ed. Glad to be here. Bill is a city councilman. He is uh, an incumbent, and he's got, he must be really special because he has two opponents. Congratulations. Uh, that's what hard work will get you. <laughs> that's what hard work will get you. So, hey, uh, let's get right to the chase here. Climate change, is it happening? Absolutely. If you can't, see what's happening going on in our world and know that uh, you know man has in one way or shape or form done something to this fragile ecosystem uh, then you're missing entirely the whole world passing by you. It's, uh, you know uh, I, I was uh, I took ecology when I was uh, at the University of Iowa and, and you know the professors really laid it out for us that you know this earth is big it's massive but it's still fragile mm. uh, Anything that can happen that might tilt the uh, balance of, of nature uh, and it's caused by man, obviously it, it's happening. And so uh, last week, I want to read you a quote from the Oregon governor, Kate Brown. She said, quote, in the last year, Oregon has had four federal emergency declarations. We had historic wildfires last fall that we are still rebuilding and recovering from. We had terrible ice storms in February. Over half a million people lost power. And then most recently, we had the heat dome event. So climate change is here. It's real. And it's like a hammer hitting us in the head. That's a pretty powerful metaphor, a hammer hitting us in the head. And we haven't had, well, derecho aside, we haven't really had. That's a good point. Well, and I guess a couple floods, too. <laughs> That's but right. But Des Moines hasn't been hit in the head with a hammer yet. <laughs> well, I, I think some of the people back in 2018 thought we took a heavy hit with a hammer, but well, uh, I took, you know, and, and that strictly I was looking at from my neighborhood, uh, you know, driving after that. flood. Yeah, the yeah, flood. Yeah, yeah. You, uh, you drive up and you see people's possessions laying there on the curb, mm. uh, things that they've collected for many years and destroyed. Uh, and to have eight to ten inches of rain fall in two hours, good yeah. grief, it's, it's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, so I guess you're right. The hammer has hit Des Moines, but um, it's going to get worse. What should Des Moines be doing to prepare for the inevitable 
escalating impacts of climate change? You know, uh, I think each time we ran into one of the disasters, be it the flood of 2018 or the derecho from last year, we started to create a playbook. What, where do we go first? What, what's our first uh, response? And so you have to start keep working how we're going to respond. Is it going to happen again? As we're sitting here, I sure hope not, but uh, I'm a realist. I think that, that it may happen again, and we just have to be prepared. We have to have our public works ready to go. We have to have our uh, public information officer out there getting information to the public in any means that's available. These are important things that so that the people who look to the government for uh, safety and, and, and recourse we can give them sane and sensible answers to get, get things over with and return to some sense of normalcy. And what about the security of our food, water, and energy systems? Let's start with food. What is, this, what, what is the city of Des Moines' responsibility to make sure that when the crisis gets really bad, we're going to have enough food? You know, uh, I work with uh, uh, the Food Bank of Iowa, look, work with DMAC, DMARC, and these are the kind of things. We have to make sure that we have a distribution system that can get food, whatever shape or form it is, back out to the people that are in need. We can't just sit back on our hands and say, well, I'm sorry, or, or uh, load up your truck and, and come visit us at some remote location. That's not going to get solved. We have to make sure that our distribution system is in place and is tested, and we can get the food out to the people that need it in the most convenient amount of time. Beyond distribution, what about production? Production's a good point. I uh, enjoy uh, coming to your farm here, and I might as well tell you that. Uh, it, it was, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big farmer. I, lo I love my, my uh, vegetables that, that we grow in the backyard. My wife grew up on a farm at Storm Lake, and, and they had, you know, aside from all the farming operations, they had their own plots of gro uh, vegetables that they grew there. Things like that are important. You know, we got to make sure that the people that are growing up, buying into homes and buying into neighborhoods, Understand that, you know, do some urban farming, you know, harvest some out of your own yard. Uh, it's safer, you know, and you can water it. I mean, that's, uh, to me, I think that that's one of the joys of, of working in an urban farm is that you get to see the stuff grow firsthand and you're a part of the process. Yeah. And even if that happens, and it should, still, the, the amount of food that people can produce in their own yards is going to be limited. I mean, we go all out. We produce about half of our food, which is great, mm -hmm. but it's still only half. So what can the city do to help assure that there's going to be a, a reliable food supply beyond whatever people can grow in their own yards? Um, I think you have to look at uh, the people that have a significant amount of land, and we can use them as urban farmers to grow more crops than what they would consume themselves and have a, a place to distribute them and get them out mm. to the people as quickly and easily as possible. And uh, there are, there are there's, there's plenty of land in Des Moines that could be used for farming, and some of it ends up being used for some other development purpose because I think in many cases there's an appeal to a higher, you know, the, the increased tax base. Is At some point, is it going to be possible for Des Moines to say, okay, yeah, tax base is important, but we need this land for food production. Do you see that happening? Well, I, I, it makes you make a good point. What happens here, and we want to make sure that we do it. You know, uh, one of the places that that's in in my ward is uh, River Bend and the Central Place. Mm -hmm. And when, when we started buying up those properties, this was clear back in 1973. Uh, they were always flood prone. They 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 were the first ones to get flooded, and we set that aside to be urban renewal for an industrial application. Uh, in the meantime, since there was nobody jumping on there, and we had some, some uh, silly rules that you know, <laughs> in, in order to buy a place, you have to increase your business by about 
12 to 15 jobs. Well, that wasn't the case in all the places that were moving down there. So, you know, when you, you lease out the property for a buck a year or whatever it is, uh, people could take advantage of it. But in the, in the back, that was always supposed to be a, a backup plan. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, with, with, as with the ones that went down there now, we're working hard to find some other. We got some extra, extra places, uh, you know, pocket parks that we don't use. Uh, there's uh, street corners. Um, River Bend people have even told me about another place uh, on college that uh, out-of-state owners have done nothing to let the weeds grow. Why not mm-hmm. uh, turn that into yeah. a nice urban farm? Yeah, and again, doing that would be helpful in terms of preparing for the impacts of climate change, but it would mean sacrificing tax base. And you are you okay with that? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then you think about <clears throat> it. A pocket park now is non-taxable anyway. So, right. Yeah. Uh, good point. And, and, and no development to really just speak of. So you got a good point there. But uh, yeah. that that's no tax base versus no tax base, and you get food. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good deal. So what about water? Uh, you know, the Des Moines Water Works manages the water system, but uh, there's been lots of conflicts there with uh, pollution upstream, nitrates, uh, topsoil. And now we have algae blooms in the Des Moines River. The Des Moines River is our backup water supply. Uh, and, I mean, as bad as our water challenges are here, they're a lot worse out west in the western U.S. But what do we do here? What can the city do to try to make sure that we're doing a better job at conserving water and managing our resources optimally? That's a good point. And I, I think we need to expand it beyond just Des Moines. You know, um, I mentioned my wife's from uh, Early, a little town south of Sword Lake. And uh, Sac County there. Yes. Yeah. And it's, I've been right where the Raccoon River flows right through. Where it starts, yeah. And, and I, we went through, uh, when I have 45 years that we've been married, we go up there and we hunt. And every year, I'd see another piece of land that was tiled. I saw another piece of land where they tore the grove out. I saw another piece of land where the house was torn out. And it's all leveled. And you just see all that stuff's running right down to mm-hmm. the tributaries of the raccoon. It comes right down here. There's, there's, there's no buffering. So we, there's no filtration. So we're inheriting all that stuff coming down. Yeah. we got to build partnerships upstream. Yeah. We're inheriting it, and so is New Orleans. Yeah. <laughs> and the Gulf yes, of Mexico. Exactly. I mean, it's, I'm surprised Louisiana hasn't sued us yet. To those listening in Louisiana, <laughs> think about suing Iowa. No, I hate to say that. I hate to say that, but you know, I mean, you could use the point that we tried to do too. It just, you know, there's so much to to keep moving there. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we need to build a partnership. We got to get that water cleaned up, uh, and we have to work with uh, our suburban neighbors because they're, you know, we want to put together uh, a coalition uh, that we can have all these people working together rather than. Urbandale moving their own, West Des Moines doing their own. Because yeah. one thing that could happen worse is that they could take the water out before it comes to us. And then we're <laughs> That's right. Absolutely worse. Yeah. I know it. So uh, one, one last quick question, Bill. Sure. You've got, you're, you're blessed to have two opponents, not just one. That's right. Um, what, what distinguishes you from your opponents? Well, the thing, I, when I first ran back in 19, or 20, I guess it seems like 19, uh, 2013, <laughs> the three things I wanted to focus on was uh, I wanted to make sure that our park systems we're, we're the best that we can provide. I want to make sure our infrastructure improved, and I want to make sure we had adequate staffing levels for our police and fire. And I have done that in over these past eight years. I want to continue to focus on that and focus on things that are going to make it easy and enjoyable for people to live here in Des Moines. So I'm, I'm working on my past successes, and I want to keep going forward with them. Bill, thank you for joining us. Ed, you're simply the best. Well, well Bill, you're, that would make you second best. I don't, right. I don't want to contradict you there. <laughs> All right. Hey, folks, so we'll be back in a minute. Uh, Randy Evans, the former editorial page editor of the Des Moines Register, now the executive director of the Iowa Freedom of Information Council, is going to join us. We're going to be talking about City Hall there we and go. the issue of protests and what's the appropriate line to draw when people are taking over a meeting. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Mm-hmm. 
Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant, well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Good to have you back at the Fallon Forum. Again, this is uh, Ed Fallon, your host. Thanks to the uh, local businesses that help make this program possible. Thanks to Architecture by Synthesis, adamantly and actively supporting the mission of this program and community radio stations. Owner Mark Clipsham knows we must build better health for people and planet, and the services he provides are committed to that principle. That's Architecture by Synthesis. Thanks also to psychiatrist Dr. David Drake. Wherever you live in Iowa, psychiatrist Dr. Drake can help through the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling offered on a self-paid basis. You can contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. And a reminder, folks, this program is going continuously for 12 years now. And if you value what we do, become a sponsor if you're a business or a nonprofit, or become a monthly donor if you're an individual. We can sure um, use your support. And uh, again, we're providing that alternative viewpoint you will not hear on the corporate-owned stations that, well, they tend to have a pretty narrow focus. We don't. We like to bring it all home. So speaking of uh, a broad focus, um, I'm delighted to have with me Randy Evans. He's the uh, executive director of the Iowa Freedom of Information Council, and he has been uh, uh, tracking the... Uh, Interesting developments at the Des Moines uh, City Council meetings, and this may not be that inconsistent with what we're seeing at uh, local levels across the country. Again, a lot of the response, a lot of the protests have been in response to the growth of the uh, Black Lives Matter movement. Um, locally, there's been concern about police officer conduct. Randy, you've been covering this, and there's been quite a response, or quite a conversation about what is the appropriate level. Of, uh, of response from the city council in terms of trying to regulate and limit the extent of protest to respect the opportunity that others might want to have to make their case before the council about a different agenda. Well, I mean, I think the bottom line in all of this has been that the uh, city council has dropped the ball. Uh, when they started uh, tightening the screws on how long people could talk, uh, it uh, created just a, a circus atmosphere. Uh, I mean, who can express a cogent thought in 20 seconds? It, wasn't it like 25 seconds? I think it was less than 20, depending now on that, how many people. Now that, that is ridiculous, but I mean, it, do, it does make sense to, for any deliberative body, whether it's a legislature or city council, board of supervisors, to have some kind of limit on, on how long a person can come before them to make their case, right? 
Yeah, I would agree with that. Okay. But I think the, the problem that the council created was that people felt very frustrated, felt like they were being shut off from being able to express uh, deeply held beliefs about what was occurring around the United right. States and in Des Moines. And the city council, under other leadership, could have held town hall forums to let people air their thoughts about what the Des Moines Police Department should or should not be doing. But the response was to just ratchet down the length that people could talk as more people became concerned about the issue. And the city did get some flack for that, and so they backed off the 22nd uh, requirement. Do you think the response, uh, the their, their current position is... Um, well, let me ask you this: How would you define their current position? They did, they haven't hold they haven't held town meetings, town hall right. meetings, like you said. I mean, I think the current position is is more rational than their previous position uh, by letting people have a more reasonable amount of time to. And how long is that? We're talking several minutes. Okay. But uh, you know, if you do research nationally around the United States. You know, you will see, quote unquote, experts talking about people needing five or ten minutes. Well, that's that's not going to happen. Uh, well, it kind of depends on how many people want to speak, right? Right. But I think that you can, uh, there's one of the takeaways from the number of people who want to speak. And that takeaway is that this is an, in, an, uh, an issue that people carry very much about. Right. Uh, I don't think that some of the uh, people who are trying to sway the council as well as the citizens are doing themselves any favors by uh, uh, bringing city government to a standstill. Uh, because what that is going to do, I fear, is uh, uh, play into the hands of those who are uh, wanting to defend the status quo uh, rather than those who are wanting to address what needs to be changed. Uh, I think there is a danger that uh, people who would support uh, reasonable examination of what the police department, what changes ought to occur, I think there's a danger that those people are being driven away by some of the... Uh, circus-like atmosphere. So you think the Des Moines City Council does have an obligation, for example, to put some limits on on protesters when they stand up uh, in front of the meeting and and refuse to back down, refuse to, you know, refuse to, to you know, to, to allow others to have a, have a chance to raise their concerns? I think, I mean, it's, it doesn't matter what, uh, what I think. I, the, the law is clear both at the federal level and at the state level, that uh, uh, city officials who are trying to impose reasonable uh, restrictions on the conduct of meetings are going to be uh, are going to be victorious in court. Hmm. Uh, you know the the problem in Iowa is that uh, the state law allows the public to attend meetings, but it doesn't require 
uh, government bodies to let the public speak at all. But isn't that a, isn't it a good thing that the state allows local control to? I mean, the state has been doing a lot to try to take away local control. Uh, for example, the city tries to enact a ban on uh, plastic bags. Mm-hmm. Legislature steps in, <laughs> won't allow that to happen. Um, uh, city tries to, uh, to establish wage. a minimum wage, you mm-hmm. know, and boom, state comes in and says, no, you can't require that uh, businesses pay $15 an hour. Um, I mean, uh, I, one of the things that I worry very much about in the current climate in the Iowa legislature, uh, I worry that uh, incidents like those that have occurred at Des Moines City Council meetings are going to... Uh, play into the hands of those in the legislature who would like to shut down that spigot of public input. Right. Yeah. No, that, that's very po- – I mean, I, I know that the legislature – legislatures around the country, uh, they've been less successful here in Iowa. They've tried to find ways of um, clamping down on protesters, especially – I mean, previously people who were protesting pipelines. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, yeah, I stand accused. <laughs> you know, it's been – Something I've been involved with. Yeah, guilty, uh, Your Honor. Yeah, but the uh, you know it's just it seems like there are efforts to suppress the uh, ability, the right well, a, to have have you, your voice heard. But again, I, I think there's also a case to be made that you know there's sometimes where people are going too far. Now you could argue that the city of Des Moines should have held some kind of a town hall meeting. Um, what what about what about some kind of a an arbitration? I mean that's, that's the wrong word, but a dialogue where a handful of city officials. And a handful of representatives well, think, from the movement that's concerned about police police conduct. I think conduct. there are lots of uh, methods that could be used to facilitate a uh, a meaningful discussion in the community about what ought to occur, what the options are. Uh, I mean, from my vantage point as a, a government transparency advocate, I'm very troubled by the. Uh, the secrecy that surrounds police discipline. Mm. Uh, and, and that's one of the concerns that protesters were bringing forward, I believe. Yes. I mean, yeah. one of the, you know, uh, a Des Moines Register reporter, uh, and I'm not talking about Andrea Sahuri, uh, Katie Aiken, who uh, was chased down as she was leaving the Capitol grounds, after covering protests there, she was chased down by a police officer who, and she was holding up press ID and saying, media, media, press, press, chased down with tear gas and oh my gosh, circled yeah. around her and sprayed her directly in the face. Uh, so has there been any accountability from on that action? We have no way of knowing because mm, yeah. the uh, police department's so, taking the position that that it's a personnel matter. So, bottom line is, and I think we would, we would agree that the police department does need to hold itself to a, a higher level of accountability. And and again, I, I should clarify that I don't I don't believe that it can the police department can police itself, but some some entity, uh, and perhaps it is through the city council, perhaps it's through some you know coalition effort that involves government officials and folks with an organization mm-hmm. like yours, the Iowa Freedom of Information Council, something needs to make sure that there's daylight being shown on on what's happening behind. Uh, I mean, you see in, in Cedar Rapids in Iowa City where they have gone the route of basically community uh, committees that are appointed by city officials who are sort of 
uh, looking over the conduct of police officers, providing a public forum, uh, and yet Des Moines is, you know, is nowhere near that. Well, hopefully there's someone else who will be interviewing Des Moines City Council members and candidates up for election this fall and asking them those questions, because those are really good questions, and that's a really important and timely uh, conversation. Uh, my conversation with council members this fall has focused on climate and sustainability and food production. Um, so hopefully, uh, maybe you can do that, <laughs> Randy. You know, there, you yes, it certainly is a, an important issue. Yeah. You know. Hey, folks, uh, thanks for joining us, Randy. We've been talking to Randy Evans, former editorial page editor of the Des Moines Register and now the executive director of the Iowa Freedom of Information Council. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Ed. When we come back, uh, Carrie Noble and Steve Shivers will be on the program with Kathy Burns discussing composting and some new innovative ideas relevant to decomposition. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. You're responsible for a lot, and it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. Psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed, and his services are offered on a self-pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Back to the Fallon Forum, Kathy Burns with Birds and Bees Urban Farm here for our final segment. I'd like to remind you that if you value what we do, become a sponsor or a monthly donor so we can continue to broadcast this unique platform of viewpoints you won't hear on the corporate stations. Thanks to our local business partners, including Gateway Market and Cafe, Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. You can order groceries online, and Gateway also offers catering and floral services. That's Gateway, Market, and Cafe. I'm happy to welcome to the program Carrie Noble, who has a background in social work in the Twin Cities, working with Native American elders, and Steve Shivers, former CEO of Shivers Manufacturing of Cord in Iowa, making grain dryers from across the Midwest and former co-chair of the Des Moines chapter of the Citizens Climate Lobby. Like Ed and me, Carrie and Steve value the earth and help protect it by growing food close to home. In fact, they grow it at home. Welcome to the show, Carrie and Steve. Thank you. Um, today we're going to be sharing uh, information about a new composting system that you two are excited about. So let's dig right in to the composting topic. <laughs> Carrie, very briefly, what is the name of this composting system and how did you get introduced to it? It's called the Johnson Sioux uh, Bioreactor and we learned about it through a colleague of Steve's, Roger Batoka. 
Um, and uh, we learned about, he sent us a link to the Maharishi International School's Revolution uh, webinar series about regenerative agriculture. Mm-hmm. Um, you two grow a lot of food in your space. Steve, um, who is this new system appropriate for? Is it something you will use or who? what do you recommend? Well, it's, it's really appropriate for anybody, any place on earth, who wants to grow uh, better field crops or better vegetable crops or just better flowers in your garden. It is a revolutionary uh, composting system that Dr. Johnson and his wife had developed. I saw the video that you sent and uh, the Johnson Sioux system uh, was tested extensively by Dr. Johnson and his wife, and they were doing trials in the Southwest, I believe. And I was wondering, uh, how do those trials, and how do you think the results will translate to the Midwest? Uh, they've they've been working on this for the past ten years. Um, Dr. Johnson's with uh, New Mexico State University, and they're promoting it, and Chico State University in California is promoting it. Um, yes, it started in the, in the Southwest. That's where the, most of them have been installed currently. It's just now getting induced to the Midwest. But um, I fully expect uh, Midwestern farmers and gardeners to be a very great benefit to them. I saw also in the video, Carrie, that setting up the system doesn't look like a, a big project. It's, it takes a couple of people a few hours with some fairly easily resourced materials, a pallet, some PVC, some, some fencing type material, and then you put your product into there. So um, what's the advantage of this? It's, I think I saw it called a microbial reactor. What's the advantage of it over say what Ed and I do? Or what, what to you is the most exciting part about this? I'm going to defer to Steve for that one because he's really good at just uh, spotlighting the really the many benefits this has. And go ahead, I'm going to have you start. So it takes a year for it to mature. Um, it creates a very very diverse and very concentrated fungal uh, community, and that's what your soil needs. It needs these living fungi in your soil. Um, the benefits of it are that, uh, like for our farmer, our corn farmer, he can do this himself on his own homestead if he chooses to, and it might cost him like 50 cents an acre. Mm. Uh, it's very low tech. Anybody can do it. The home garden can do it. Back to our farmer, our corn farmer, if he puts it on his corn, um, he truly does not need fertilizer. Fifty cents an acre is a lot cheaper than fertilizer. The fertilizer over a hundred dollars an acre. Mm. He's going to be saving hundred dollars an acre, and have increased productivity, equal to your increased productivity what he's doing today. Um, so it benefits the farmer, uh, you know, economically. Um, it benefits the world through carbon sequestration. Mm -hmm. Some of these fungi uh, sequester carbon. Others fixate nitrogen. Others release the minerals in the ground uh, in a way that the plants can absorb them. So you don't need the potash, don't need the phosphorus. 
and your your plant nutrient your the nutrient density of the plants increase as well. So like for the home Facebook gardener, you're going to be growing a lot more nutritious food than what you have been. And I heard you say earlier that you're hoping to get uh, a certain number of farmers in Iowa, a certain number of gardeners in Iowa to try the system uh, and start next spring, correct? Yes, we're, we have, we've currently ourselves built five of these processors, five of these bioreactors, and I'm hoping to entice 50 to 100 farmers across the Midwest to try it on maybe five acres, 10 acres this next spring. Mm-hmm. I would like to get gardeners to try, to try it. I'll be giving it away this fall and spring. Giving it away. I'll be giving this it away. This is not a sales pitch for you then. This is not a sales pitch at this time. <laughs> <laughs> but you care deeply about the earth and yes, you want to, you yes. want to see more people And, and it's it. open tech. Anybody mm-hmm. can do it. Carrie, you were talking about the potential for this system to be really life-changing for women who are interested in getting into food production and farming and also people of color and disenfranchised folks who want to get something going and, and spend very little money doing it. Tell me about your excitement about that. Right. This, this, uh, that same webinar series from Rai Rishi International University had two speakers that talked about that, that they had both uh, invested heavily into these groups that had been had that traditional uh, scientific path, and and uh, their um, their experience was that they needed to find people who had different ways of seeing and knowing, and I felt that was a direct um, invitation for people who had been on the on the periphery, who don't see themselves as as scientists but have a different viewpoint based on different life experiences to get involved. They are saying there's no time to lose. We need them now. And Steve, speaking of now, you mentioned that this is something that can get established very quickly and give you results very quickly. And we have about 30 seconds left to, before we're going to wrap up. So it's a way to, for farmers and gardeners to, to jumpstart regenerative agriculture. Mm-hmm. You don't have to go to a five-year, ten-year process. You can do it this time, mm-hmm. and you're into regenerative agriculture. Well, um, I'm excited to see where this goes, and I want you both to be back on next year. You're going to try it on your own space, correct? Uh, yes, but I also like encourage mm-hmm. people to visit YouTube and look up for, uh, Johnson Sioux Bioreactors. Thank you. And YouTube is on there. Johnson and Sue is SU, correct? Correct. Bioreactor. Wonderful. Uh, thanks for being on the show. It, and again, next year, we want to hear about your results. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Well, we want to thank our guests today, Judy Downs, Albrecht Kusterman, Bill Gray, Randy Evans, Carrie Noble, and Steve Shivers. And thanks to our local small business sponsors, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Western Optometry, Groovy Goods, and David Drake Family Psychiatry. Thanks also to our nonprofit partners, Bold Iowa and Birds and Bees Urban Farm. And thanks to our production team of Ed Fallon, Sherry Herdina, Forrest Detterman, Charles Goldman, and myself, Kathy Burns. Remember to support Uh, this program because it matters a lot. Uh, Please consider becoming a monthly donor. Again, thanks, and we'll be back next week with more cutting-edge progressive talk radio.